Okay, here we go. Let's pray. Let's go. Let's pray. Let's go. Here we go. Here we go. Almighty and merciful God, fulfill your promises to us. We beg you that when the day comes, we may sit down with all the redeemed at the heavenly feast and praise you in eternal light through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay. Whoa, that wasn't very good. Sorry about that. Um, Okay. Good to see you. Uh, Lots cooking. Thanks for Friday night, especially to Lindsay for making that work. That was very nice, right? Your vicar's not here because one of his kids was admitted to the hospital in the middle of the night with a big fever. So we don't know anything new. Hopefully that'll all be okay, but they're on top of it. But of course, um, first time you have your kid admitted to the hospital, that's always a different experience, right? So keep him in your prayers. He'll be back, I'm sure, coming around. Let's see, what else? Throw some money in the basket. We'll give it to the Russians, right? It's not too early to save money to go to summer camp, right? So now the Russians want to go to summer camp. Any minute now, they'll be writing me and saying, hey. So that, that's good. Um, anything else about anything? I'm going to be gone the next two Sundays. So I think you're still going to be here. I'm going to give lectures at... Uh, I mean, in this room for Bible study. We don't have as many people as we used to, so it's a little bit of a negotiation about who... No, everybody likes what they're doing, and nobody wants to like do what they're doing, especially with the kids, so we'll have to see what happens. Plus, have you been downstairs ever for Sunday school? Yeah, it's a frightening situation. Yeah. I mean, come on, look. I mean, what, I mean, you suggest probably people with batons, or what would you, you know... Well, I'd say let the inmates sort it out. Yeah, exactly. They, they come to a natural hierarchy, right? I've read Lord of the Flies too, so it'll probably it'll probably work out. But um, I'm next week uh, giving lectures for the English district of the Missouri Senate. So in the good old days, and everybody spoke German, there was actually an English district. So you weren't like in Northern Illinois; you were in you were the churches that spoke English. And of course, once people have their own fiefdom, right? Nobody wants to. You know, you ask yourself, do we still need an English-speaking district? You know. Maybe they should become the Spanish-speaking district. But no, they're um, so, anyway, but it just happens, you know, by happenstance. Uh, it's in San Francisco, so that's not a bad place to go. So I'll be gone. I know, I know. Hey, listen, I just answer the call. I don't make it, okay? So um, anyway, so next week, and then I'm going to stay and preach, preach at Pastor Lady's Place for Reformation. So but I got a sense that somebody will be here. Um, so you should come here at least next week, and then we'll you know, see. The following week is Reformation, so we'll see what's going on. All right. Um, come, really, come. Something will work out. Anything else? So I've been trying to convince you that the creed isn't such an angry thing, uh, and certainly not a data dump. You know, the, the political season gives us all sorts of reasons to talk about this. But I almost hate to engage that because it's, it's, you know, in your own mind you'll be assigning who I'm talking about. So I, you know, I, I might, you know, step aside of that. But let me do, let's kind of go back to where we, you know, where we started, which was in the Didache, which is sort of the earliest little book written for pastors. Probably, probably people argue about it whether it was, you know, 60 A.D. or 160 A.D. It doesn't matter too much. But the very first line of the Didache is, there's a way of life and there's a way of death. You know, walk the way of life. So, you know, that's, that's what the creed is trying to do. Most of you, if you were like me, most of you were, you know, the, the creed was almost a punishment, you know, an enforcement, a thing you had to memorize and say to people, along with the explanation. And if you didn't, that was trouble. Uh, but it's unfortunate because the creed is actually such a nice story. K. 
Karen, I'm hardly warmed up. Is it because is it because you think pastors can't stop once they get started? What could it be, Karen? <laughs> okay. Honest. Oh boy. You're not going to move to Canada, are you? Wow. Sorry I prepared anything for today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I think about this myself every, every day. To be honest with you, Karen, I'm writing in Dennis Wente for president. That's going to be my... Uh, he's the only rational man left in America. So uh, ask his wife. She says the same thing about him. Um, you know, I, you know, you're going to have to just struggle it through. Um, I'm not, I can't give you a, there's people on all sides. There's good. Okay, good, good. So this is just to torture me. That's good. Uh, you know, you're just going to have to, you're just going to have to sort it out and see what happens. But here's what I would do. I, you should beat your chest, you know, and say, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. You know, we sort of get what we deserve. Um, we get what we deserve because we haven't paid attention to the church. We haven't paid attention attention even to sort of natural morality. We haven't paid attention to a lot of things. And when you just turn people loose and everybody's, one of the most interesting things on all sides is self-interest. So everybody, it's the judge. It's the judge in the gospel for today. The only thing he cares about is himself. So, you know, take a week and just look. Just look people in the eye who want your vote and ask yourself, do they care more about me or do they care more about themselves? And then you'll have your answer, Right? And a place, and a, and a, and a, and a, any institution where everybody only, or any community or any institution where people only care about themselves, eventually isn't an institution. It's it's an anarchy, right? But it just it just takes some time to play out. It happens in churches, it happens in countries. It just and then you you know you're in danger when people keep saying, "I just can't believe this," or "I've never seen this before," or "This is unlike anything." This is unprecedented. When you start to hear that over and over again with, with honesty, that people are actually really surprised, you would wonder whether A, people might reverse course, or B, just keep going, right? Um, and in the end, you know, this is, a, this is part of your human freedom. Part of your human freedom is when you exercise it, you get the consequences. This is always when people say, you know, why did God do this to me? And you, you, a lot of times you say, like, Ur? God hasn't been in this story for, oh, these many years, right? This is personally when people, you know, drink so much that their liver fails, and they say, why did God do this to me? I'm just like, I mean, some things you can't cause an effect, but there's a lot of things you can cause an effect. One of the things you can cause an effect is if I'm only interested in myself, guess what? I live in a world where everybody else is my enemy. This is pretty basic stuff, Right? And it's interesting. I mean, the interesting thing is the, the, the attempt to, on all sides, to, to, to legislate our way out of it as if politics were our savior. That's one of the most interesting things, that um, everybody thinks that if they could just have their way, it would all work out. Now you can go back to what we talked about in the past, which is 
Because we're sinful, people can't see well. They can't think clearly. They can't choose the good, right? The, all these things we talked about. Um, now, the church has to take some responsibility, too, because, you know, we had the ball and we were, you know, 1,700 years ahead in the fourth quarter. But, you know, the church didn't do a very good job here either. You know, where the church has clapped so often through history into politics or into the church or, you know, I'm sorry, into, into, the, into, into kingdoms. You know, the church has collapsed and hasn't sort of minded its manners. So, um, you know, it's always, a, it's always a, and partly growing up in America, we think that, you know, it's always going to be this way. That's what the Romans thought. Right? It'll just always be this way. And then, you know, Attila and the Huns appear at the crest of the hill, and you're like, oops, you know, <laughs> should have been paying attention. So, you know, the best you can do is tend yourself and your family and your neighbors and then kind of see what happens. But uh, it's a difficult, it's a difficult deal. But as for what you do, you know, um, people can argue it all directions. Another thing, just to remember too, I mean, just kind of, just to kind of put a period on the end of this sentence, um, Karen, every human action is flawed. So the thing is, is, you know, in this case, there's probably not a right answer. You can defend a range of answers, voting for one, voting for another, writing somebody in, not voting. You can defend a range of answers, probably, if you think hard enough about it. But every action and every thought is flawed in some ways. What we try to do is find the least flawed way, and then we beg for forgiveness, right? We beg for God to make it right. And if we don't do that, and frankly, in America, there's very little interest in doing that, um, you know, uh, you know, then the chips fall where they fall. People get hurt, and the, uh, the you know, in the at the end of the day, what you say to yourself is, well, you know, you know, at least at some point they'll kill me. You know, at seventy or eighty years, you, you know, you're out the door, and then you know, you have a long eternity to kind of reflect on uh, the faithfulness of your life. This is why, as you often tell your kids, it doesn't matter what anybody else does. You do the right thing. It doesn't matter what other people do. At the end of the day, you do the right thing. And of course, you have to sort that out. You have to sort that out in a bunch of ways. But you do the right thing. You beg for forgiveness. You go to bed at night. You wake up and do it again the next day. But if for every action, you know, I could take you for coffee and argue it from, I could, I could, I could argue for each candidate and I could argue. In, in some sense, what's so interesting to me about the, how this is shaping up is that this is the old thing of splitting sins. Whose sins are worse, right? So I'm not going to assign any sins to anybody. You can do that on your own. But you just, when you look at across at the sins and you go, whoa, that is a lack of, or that is a violation of, or that is, you know, you start to say, well, I'm, I'm choosing this sin rather than that sin. You're kind of going, that's, a, that's always kind of a loser's game, right? So, and I don't want to specify because I actually don't want to, you know, I'm not, you know, you all have to figure it out for yourselves. It's one of the beauties of the system that we're in. You have to figure it out for yourself. But good luck, Karen, and thanks for asking. Um, tell you what I'm going to do. Because you started me that way, in retaliation, I'm going to, um, I'm actually going to go right to the, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go right to handout three, because that's the topic you're asking about. And I'm going to come back and finish to, upon my return, well-rested and slightly tanned. So, uh, all right? 
So I know exactly. Don't worry, I'll be working hard. It'll be, I promise you. Or hardly working. It could be that too. Yes, it could be that. So let's just think about, let's just think about this whole notion of what the faith is. Okay? So I've tried to convince you there's some good reasons to have a creed. The first one I said to you is the reason you have a creed is that Jesus is tender with you, which may not be your, 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 your you know, first reaction. But, you know, the reason you have a creed is because Jesus is tender with you. This is your story, and we are the stories we tell about ourselves. The story we tell about ourselves is the creed. We were there this morning, and we said, this is a story that we tell in this place. Hey, you went in on this story? Like, the father? Yeah, I'm in on that. How about the son part? You in on that? Yeah, I'm in. Um, whoa, how about the Holy Spirit part? That's a little more difficult to grasp. Yeah, we'll take that. Okay, do you want to be baptized? Which is to say, do you want to be initiated? Do you want to be drawn across the threshold? Do you want to join us? Do you want to be part of us? Um, one of my conversations as I was coming up was about the peacefulness of this con- congregation. And I will tell you, you know, that peacefulness, and, and it was with the younger person, so I, I'll say to all of you what I said to that person, which is the peacefulness in this congregation was hard won, and it has endured for many years now. And it is the habit of the place, and it is enforced by people who have been here a long time and who are a little older and who know how horrible it is when you don't have a congregation that's peaceful. To you who are younger, I will say, if you could hold the peace without having to be tortured or suffer great pain, that would show a mark of your maturity. Almost always in churches, you have to have, a, you have, to have and nations and organizations, what often happens is you have a great pain, you have a failure of earnings or a failure of morality, or you have a failure of, in churches, often a failure of love. You know, part of the story that we're telling is, if you live this story, you're going to be fine. There are two ways. There's the way of life, there's the way of death. If you live the other story, death will surely find you, right? I mean, it's on the way. There are clouds on the horizon, and there will be trouble. That is the state of human beings. The question is, will there be trouble in these two square blocks? Will there be trouble in your own home? Will there be trouble in your own life? If you stick to this story, you may not be trouble-free, but you will be forgiven. You may not be trouble-free, but you will be on the victimized side and not the victimizing side, You'll live in forgiveness rather than unforgiveness, and you'll live for the interest of others and not for the interest of yourself. This is our story. So the first thing we said is, it's because Jesus is tender with us. That's our story. And the second thing we said is, is that Jesus tells you who you are by making a relationship with you. So at the font today, we pray at the end, as this child has now become your child, or we have the gospel for today, as God has now become your father, or better, your judge, Right? What's the story? What's your story? Your story is that you have a gracious judge as opposed to an angry judge or a judge who doesn't care about you, right? I mean, if you polled America, I mean, I, I would, it would be interesting to see how many people think whoever wins doesn't care about me. I just, I'll talk about myself. I have the overriding feeling that it doesn't matter who wins, they don't care about me. And they doubly don't care about me because I'm in a church and triply don't care about me because I'm a pastor, Right? I mean, it just is, it's, you know, it's going the other way for us. And so, you know, of course, the opposite of that is to have a father who loves you, a judge who's for you, right? This is our story. This is who we are. This is our relationship. I'm a child. This is my father. Well, you live in a difficult world, right? And I want to try to help you through that world. And this is going to be the end point of the world. 
you all fight a lot of battles that you probably don't have to fight. And I'm going to try to relieve you of the necessity for, for both fighting and winning by the end of the hour. So you can kind of stick to your knitting, which is to be in a place where no matter what anybody else does, you live in gentleness. You're tender with other people because Jesus is tender with you. It's yours as long as you can hold it, right? I pray to God that it holds out till I'm out of here in Florida, right? I mean, I pray to God that you'll just behave yourselves till then. Then it's Buke's problem. Nelson, they can call me between 9 and 4, because then I'll be going for that early bird thing that is so popular among the elderly, right? You know what I'm talking about, Dorn. We're in, you and me, let's go, right? Why would you pay double for something that you can get at five cheaper than six, right? There's no point in that. It's bad management, right? Come on. So the first thing you needed to do is distinguish between the faith and my faith. Okay, so you hear this often, the faith, the creed, the faith. Um, And I just give you this. The faith is this objective thing. We're going to say this objective thing at the font. We have another baptism. It's great. I mean, I mean, you know, I, we apparently are just grabbing people off the street and baptizing them by now. I mean, people are walking in and saying, this is my, I'm like, did you talk to anybody here? Or did you just hear we do this a lot? So, I mean, we're going to have to take a door offering for candles if this keeps up. But, you know, this faith is an objective thing, right? It's doctrines. It's a thing. There's a thing called the faith, right? So just a little history. The Nicene Creed was a bishop's creed. comes around um, in 325 where these bishops get together in Nicaea in Turkey, right? I think that's Izmir now. Um, 325 AD. And then, you know, they tune it up a few years later at 381. They get some bishops again in the room. You know, one of the things about the bishops is they're the smart guys. I mean, if I have a problem, I want the smart guys to figure it out, okay? And ultimately then, you know, around 381, the creed gets fixed. Everybody pretty much agrees, you know, this is what we do, okay? Now, the creed has has fallen out of favor. Um, And it really depends what you think about it. You know, in one sense, kind of on on one end of theology, there is this notion that um, the creed was just, you know, by all the cranky old, at least you can't say cranky old white men, because, you know, there probably wasn't a white man in the room. Uh, but just a bunch of cranky old men, right? These are Turks and Jews and Egyptians and, you know, people like that. What's that? Turks didn't exist at that time. Well, people, but you wouldn't know if I say, wherever Turkey is on the map right now, those people. <laughs> I, just mean, I, just, I just mean that area right there. Whoever was there, that's what I mean. I mean they didn't look German like you. I know you think the Germans run everything, Gunter, but no, no! <laughs> there were no Germans... At, 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 at Nicaea, what do you say? Can we at least agree on that? All right, good. I love you. The, the greatest thing about, I mean, this is like, you, I love you. I love you. I would kiss you on the lips if I could get to you. All right? Uh, you stay away, right, yeah. Uh, so here's the thing. I mean, here's the thing. You, you think about, and this is the same for Scripture. If you think about the creed as put together by, by a bunch of, you know, a bunch of kind of esoteric, eccentric old men in a room, you're going to think about it one way. If you think about it as the promise, one example of the promise of Jesus sending his Holy Spirit upon his followers to do good and wise things, you're going to think about it another way. Sidebar. Um, 
This is the kind of stuff I do with, you know, in my, Bukes comes in. He wants to talk about heaven. He wants to talk about whether everything is equal in heaven. He stumbled across this verse where, in Ezekiel, where, did he do this with the women on Friday? Did you tell me if you talked about this on Friday, where it says, there are still things in heaven that are holy and common, and there are still ranks of things in people. Did he do this with you on Friday, or was he too scared? Did he do this? So we were, we were talking about how, whether you all still be happy in heaven if you re- realize that heaven has a hierarchy, right? So we just had St. Michael and all angels. St. Michael, you know, we always think St. Michael's the big shot angel. There's four of them, Raphael, Gabriel, right? Who's the fourth one? Who's the fourth one? Raphael, Gabriel, mm-hmm. Uriel. So those are the four <laughs> named archangels. Thank you. But in the kind of classic things, you know, there's seven levels of angels, and that's only one step up from the bottom. They're, they're at rank six. There's still five ahead of them that you never think about or talk about, or we don't either, cherubim, seraphim, how, how all principles and powers and how all that, principalities and powers, how that all works out. We were talking about the notion, you, you, because you grew up in America, you and I have this great notion that everybody in heaven is going to be equal, right? Well, you're going to be, are you going to be cranky if you get to heaven in the eschatological temple, whatever that means, the temple that lives in eternity? There's places where everybody can't go. Look at you. You're not sure you want to go to heaven now, do you? <laughs> Because you thought it was a perfected democracy. Because you thought America was the new Israel. I'm so sorry to disappoint you on so many levels this morning. Okay? But I mean, partly, you see, we think everybody is equal. and I'm not sure the Lord knows about that. Well, see, this is the kind of thing that makes people cranky. That everybody is... So people sort of have this notion of democracy, and they impose it on the Lord, and they say, you know... Why can't you be just a little more, you know, just a bit? If, if, if Jesus could just be a bit better libertarian, things would work out so much better, right? But, I mean, lost on you? Okay, never mind. So I just thought, you, at least not on you. So thank you very much. You and I will giggle about this alone later, okay? Um, you know, but it's not unlike, I just turned the page, how people think about Scripture um, or the world, Right? And what happens then is, you know, denominations start to pop up from your presuppositions. Oh, they didn't really mean that. Hey, they didn't really say that. Hey, I don't believe that. That's how you get denominations. So um, there is this thing called the creed, which we confess here, which I confess as, the, bishop, the bishops just continuing to tell the story. They're just continuing to tell the story as they were told it. They've thought about it for a while, and they've said, these are kind of the implications. So I'll give you this later, but one of the reasons you have a creed, it's written down a little later, is that the creed is a canon, the word for a straight line. What's the good of a straight line? You can tell when you have a crooked line, right? The easy stuff. I mean, you can figure this out, you know, in your sleep. But it all depends on your embrace of this. So you come to the creed and you say, this is cranky, old, dusty, archaic, non-understanding, non-democratic, the fix is in, it was people manipulating. This is like, you know, you get this every Christmas and Easter from your National Geographic special on the Discovery Channel, that we found this new (gasps) book of the Bible, or we found out, Jesus is married, or here's a bone with, here's an ossuary with Jesus' bones in it, you know, and then it takes about six months for him to figure out that it's really something else, but by then you've all forgotten about it. All you could remember is your Easter was ruined or your Christmas didn't really happen, right? Well, all these are of the same character. People tell a story, you can believe the story or not believe the story. This is our story. This is Jesus' story. I mean, Jesus came to earth, 
He wants to show you the way of life. He shows you the way of life by telling you a story and frankly by living out that story in his own flesh and blood. And then he disappears and says, okay, there are two ways, the way of life and the way of death. Follow the way of life, right? And you are free, right? Once he speaks to you, you do have that freedom to do what you want. So I'm point number two, and I've only taken 30 minutes. Faith comes first, this is really important, and doctrines come later, right? Just like Jesus comes first and scripture comes later, faith comes first and doctrines come later. You know, what happens is, is you have this experience of whom you trust. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, go back because I wanted to use this um, quote from Rowan Williams. It's, a, a, uh, it's in outline number two, but it was so crystal clear. I just wanna, I'm just going to read it to you. Um, it's under 14 if you're looking. Basic to everything here, so to everything I've said, basic to everything here is the Christian belief. Sorry, let me start again. Basic to everything here is the idea that Christian belief is really about knowing, here it is, who and what to trust. Your whole life is that. Your whole life is just about who and what to trust, right? Even if you're a scientist or a mathematician and you trust proofs, you've decided who and what to trust. Everything about life, it's the fundamental decision. Who are you going to trust? What are you going to trust? I shall be suggesting that Christianity asks you to trust the God it talks about before it asks you to sign up for the complete system. You have this experience of Jesus, perhaps through another people, perhaps through the sacrament, perhaps through your, you have this experience of Jesus, and then you decide if you trust him. What I was going to say about the boy from Nain is, you got a dead guy here, and Jesus touches him, and he sits up and he starts to talk. I think maybe one of his first questions is, who should I trust? Maybe I should trust this guy who just resurrected me. Right? This is the fundamental question of life. Who will I trust? What will I trust? Okay? I hope it may become clear how once you have taken the step of trust, the actual teaching, the doctrine, flows out of that. A good and sensible bit of teaching is good and sensible because it has grown out of exploring the implications of believing in a completely trustworthy God. So, so what's, what's, what is the creed? The creed, of course, is a canon. It's also a launch pad. It's also this great joy of thinking about this particular God who is a father from eternity, who has an only begotten son from eternity, whatever that might mean, who comes to you in flesh and blood, who dies, who rises, who blesses you, who leaves, and gives you a spirit to guide you through life. Right? That's our story. Uh, there are people who hate that story. You know, as we've discovered, especially in these past couple of weeks, it's, it's nice when people look you in the eye and tell you what they think. But we nevertheless carry on, right? So this is under two. You know, in our own experience, faith starts first with the Holy Spirit who warms us, who illumines us, who calls us, who guides us. And we come to faith in anything by taking somebody else's word for it. You're not self-generating, right? You have a mother, you have a father, or you have somebody like a mother. You have a teacher, you have a mentor. You're not, you know, you're not a, you're not, in some, in the, in the most, in the most literal sense, you're not a self-made person. 
You know, you, you wouldn't survive, you know, past your first birthday. It's just not true. You take somebody else's word for it based on what we know about that person. And here's where it gets interesting. Because the experience of Jesus is to experience somebody like you've never met before. The one person in your life who purely gives himself for your good. Gives himself to you for your good. There's nobody else who can do that. Every one of my actions is sinful. Everything I say, do, touch, think, it's all broken. The difference between Jesus and everybody else is he's pure. Lamb of God, pure and holy, who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. It's, that's everything you need to know about the faith. Right? That Jesus comes in flesh and blood. Right? Pure, holy, have mercy on me. So, um, you know, why do, why do people protest about that? Well, you know, we like to think that we're always the smartest guy in the room. And uh, the suggestion of the church is probably not true. In fact, the church has people, men and women, saints and angels, who frankly are a lot brighter than you and a lot better than me. Right? The ancient church desert mothers, we did this you know, one whole year in the Women's Bible Study on Friday. Wisdom from the desert mothers. You know, the bishops of Nicaea. They were not perfect, but they were wise. Now here's the thing. This is kind of the indentation under number two. This is really, really important, and this will explain a lot about the world that goes on right now. Um, it all depends on how you approach things. So hermeneutic, that big word hermeneutic or hermeneutics, was the big philosophical question of the 20th century. How you approach things. You hear it um, all about now in terms of how cultures intersect and you know, your approach to things, how men and women, how different of people, races and cultures engage, what's appropriated, what's legitimate, how this works out, systematic, you know, racism, poverty, all the, this all kind of goes back to how you approach things. One of the most dangerous things is a hermeneutic of suspicion. So basically, if I can translate, it means every time I see Tom, I say to myself, the one thing that's sure about Tom is he's a liar. Go ahead, Tom, tell me what you think, right? You, you engage people and you say, the one thing I know about Bev is she's out to kill me. No matter what she says, what she really wants to do is destroy me. That's even better, right? right? I know, but this is how people, and this is why sometimes you have such trouble, you know, with, especially with academics, but uh, frankly, this is why you have such, pe such trouble with you know, political people or academics or you know, intellectual people or politicians who approach you not in the way that they seem to approach you. There's this great suspicion. Well, what happens is people come to Jesus and the church and the creed and to, to, to me the same way, right? <clears throat> it's deadly. Because it does a couple of things. One is, it makes me the court of last appeal. I'm the arbiter of what is true. I'm the judge. I'm true and you're a liar. I'm moral and you're not. Right? I'm smart and you're stupid. Are you getting the picture? Right? Have you felt this in the last, oh, I don't know, month, six months, year? Right? I know where I'm going and you can be manipulated. 
nothing you do is honest. That's a hermeneutics of suspicion. I'm suspicious of your motives as opposed to, you know, and put the best construction on everything, which is the way of Jesus, right? Very close to that, although I don't know, have enough time to go there, is this um, notion of perfection. One of the great problems in American life and in the world's life, frankly, is this presumption of perfection. So I'm going to tell you a story, not to, not to pick on anybody and not to pick on lawyers. I just want to make the point, okay? So I'm picking on people. So I think I remember why I heard this story, but I'm going to fuzzy it up so that, um, um, you know, so it doesn't sort of, but just take this point this way. Um, I know a woman who went to her baby doctor, and the baby doctor came in and was a little bit deflated, and there was kind of the back and forth talking, and then what's wrong? And the doctor says, you know, you'll never believe it, but um, I just met some people for the first time, and the moment I agreed to be their doctor, the man, the father, turned to me and said, okay, we're glad that you're our doctor. If we don't have a perfect child, I just want you to know we're suing you. Now, apparently, I'm not a lawyer type, but apparently the doctor felt like she had already shaken hands on the deal, and that was one of the reasons she couldn't exit the relationship. Right? She couldn't now say, hey, under those circumstances, I'm not your doctor. Apparently, she felt like that wasn't a legal thing that she could do. Now, behind that, you see, is the notion, the expectation that our lives should be perfect. The church is exactly opposite. We, every week when you come here, the primary thing that we say about you, in fact, the very first thing we do after we tell you in a very kind of discreet and coded ways that we love you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You're a damn miserable sinner. That's the very first thing. The first thing we say about you every week is you're broken, you're broken, you're broken, you're broken. We have a completely different set, a completely different set of expectations, of assumptions, of presuppositions. We have a different hermeneutic, right? I'm most suspicious of myself if I know anything about myself at all. We did this in the first week, right? Because I know that I can't see and I know that I can't love and I know that I can't think. And so everything about me has to be forgiven. Well, this is the world you live in, and this is why you rub so much in the world that sh where you live, because um, you're a different kind of person. I'm going to come up on the time, but I'm going to give you a couple of examples of this. And I'm going to, I'm, I actually le at least want you to start to think about this. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to murder this. Um, as you know, I always stick closely to my outlines. Somebody said to me this week, like, you know, when you were off on one of those tangents. And I said to myself, I'd said it inside my head, I'm like, I don't think I've ever had a tangent since I came to St. John. You know, in my mind, everything is connected. You know, you might think it's a tangent, but I'm sure that it had, right? Uh, they can be drawn from the outline. as logical exposition of what I've said before. I'm going to give you two things to think about. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you faith in science and faith in reason before we go. Um, you know, when we, back in, in the school time, um, every year, almost every year, I would have, we'd have one kid who would go to high school and stand up in biology class and make their Christian stand, they would sort of finger wag their biology teacher 
and tell them that, you know, the baby Jesus created the universe and anybody who believes in evolution is stupid and how can you not see that because you have this public school job and blah, 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 blah. To which the, you know, the teacher would say, thank you very much, sit down and then mark F. <laughs> She'll like this course better the next time she takes it, right? And I, then they always come to me and there's a lot of tears and I'm like, see, here's the thing. There was a stick and there was a ball you know, you were playing golf, but you thought it was lacrosse, so you started whacking somebody with the stick, right? It's really important to know the game that you're playing, and it's important to play it well. Um, yeah, so there's so much to talk about. I mean, this is just like, so just go to number six. I just want to, I'm going to put this out here. When I come back in two weeks, we're going to do this again. I can see already there's so much to do, but faith and science. Let me just start by saying with faith and science, you know, there is, you know, blood spilled over this, right? And, you know, scientists can prove the faith isn't true, and faithful people hate scientists, and Bill Nye, the science guy, debates people, and blah, 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 blah. I'm just like, um, there doesn't actually need to be a rub, per se, because they're actually playing two different games, right? The issue is, in any situation which has precedence, Right? So the claim, just this is like, this is a claim, and I would suggest to you if you're clever enough, this is the creed, that faith has to fit inside science. You know, this is a mark of the empiricism that's kind of overwhelmed our age. What's happened in the last few hundred years is that um, the scientific method or the way of scientific thinking, which is a glorious and wonderful thing, you, know, you can shoot people into space. You know, you can, I can adjust my thermostat from my smartphone. It's glorious, right? That's a different game. Um, for the Bible, it was the whole notion of the historical critical method. So basically, um, people said, wow, we feel kind of stupid and ancient and positively superstitious when we say that Jesus walked on the water. And then sort of, you know, people said, well, never fear. We have a way to test for walking on water, people. There'll be little tests like, for example, can you do it again? Can you do it again in front of neutral witnesses? Can you do it again a lot of times? So if, we, if Jesus walks on the water a hundred times in a row in front of people who aren't Christian, then maybe he gets full or maybe just partial credit for walking on the water, right? This is why, just as a side, you know where the phrase devil, devil's advocate comes from, right? So when you have a, it was really interesting, I read an interview with the devil's advocate for Mother Teresa, an, an atheist, woman, scientist, doctor, right? So to, among the things you do to be a saint is you have to have some miracles that are attested, right? And so they, the devil's advocate is the person who says, come on, you gamed the system. That didn't really happen. And so what happens is there's a neutral person. In this case, it was a woman who was a scientist and or doctor and also an unbeliever who was in charge of saying, did somebody really get healed when from touching, you know? It's kind of interesting, right? So the point of this is, is um, if you say, this is, it's just so easy. It's like, I don't know why, it, why, there has, why people should be, should be so angry about it. You say, you know, here's science, right? Here it is. Or math or reason, the argument is the same. There it is, right? And then you say, this is the simplest way I can make it for you. That's, 
The entire world needs to fit inside of it. In fact, out here there's nothing, right? And we have rules for how this works. If we can measure it, if we can time it, if, we can, if it proceeds logically, if we can repeat it, there's, you know, depending on what you... You basically say, it starts by saying, if we can't measure it, it doesn't exist, right? In, in the, you basically, well, I mean, so here is, um, you know, so the, 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 the choice is, your presupposition, your creed is, there's nothing, or there might be another possibility, which is out here kind of looking down saying, what are they up to now is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, the classic example is you can't see Jesus under a microscope in the Eucharist, so it couldn't poss- he couldn't possibly be there. Well, another possibility is you just haven't built a microscope yet that can find him, right? So does the trouble work live with us or live with them? You can play these out, but the important thing is to be clear and to be honest and just say what the rules are. If the rules are, I'm, and I'm oversimplifying this for the scientists in the room, I get it, but look around you. These are not professionals. These are just regular people who want to talk. And I went to pastor school. I didn't go to chemistry school. I didn't. You went to chemistry school. That's why I love you among other reasons. If you just say, we're going to presume the world is measurable and we're going to measure our world. So already you have an assumption. We're going to presume the, wor- the world is measurable and we're going to presume our measurements work and we're going to measure our world. And then you say, it's much more honest to say, hey, we haven't found any evidence of God. We just say, okay, right? We already knew that. You don't have to get angry about it. You don't have to be afraid. It's just the game isn't designed to do that. Reason is exactly the same. Kant's famous, it's the next thing, but we've got to go. But Kant's famous thing, which is um, faith within the bounds of reason, right? So now, just the same game, not science, but here's reason, right? Reason is the border, and faith has to live inside. So basically, you chip anything off faith. If there's anything that might actually go out here, like say, there's a transcendent God who lives above us, it doesn't work. You can't have that. You can't play outside the lines. You're just off the field, right? Why should you get so irritated about this? Unless you feel like you have to force other people to believe what you believe, or you feel really you know, insecure about what you believe, or you want to impose your will on other people, or you think that only if people believe that everything is going to work out, right? That's not the way of faith. The way of faith is in freedom, in gift, in blessing. For neither one of these. You just have to know, you know, just, and I, I just would just challenge you to just listen. Like, don't talk next time you're, you're when you hear one of these conversations, I, and listen without being angry. People are just playing a different game. They have a different set of presuppositions, they don't have the tools available to engage God, right? And, and it's actually okay. I'm going to give you one more thing. I want to come back to this. Um, I'm going to give you one more thing, which is please distinguish point eight between proof and evidence, okay? If you design a... So this is, now this is a little bit harder. Just kind of think this through. If you... A perfect system, a, a perfectly logical system, it works, How do you know it works? It concludes its presuppositions. I know that's jammed together, but basically you're saying, I build a car and it runs, right? Or I build a way of thinking and it helps me think. 
to be completely complete, to have a proof is to conclude your presuppositions. You start with something and you end with something. You say, see, I got it all right. Two plus two is actually four in the easiest sense, okay? Because that's how plus works and equals works. All right, fair enough. There, and you can construct with your mind systems that work. Practically, you can measure. You can have two things and add them to two things. You can do that. It's, it's no thing. But most of the world does not work that way. In fact, very few things work that way, and most of the things that you believe don't work that way. In fact, in fact if you're below 35, this is what I'm, I love millennials, but one of, the, one of the real questions to me is the people that they believe, right? Which would be pretty much anybody who puts up four stars or more on an Amazon rating, or, you know, your drug dealer, because your drug dealer, you know, the guy who's selling you weed, he would never do anything to hurt you. Don't worry, it'll be fine, Right? Right? Or all those guys giving you advice about your karma on the internet? That's going to be great for you, too. He's completely trustworthy. Don't worry. Look, here's the thing. Everybody trusts other people about... you. So you have to distinguish between the system that is locked down tight and giving reasons. So here's the thing. People will say, you Christians, you're so unreasonable. No, actually, to be reasonable is to have reasons. You can evaluate reasons. Are they strong? Are they weak? Are they verifiable? But just to be reasonable simply means to have reasons. And I can give you reasons all day long if you want for why you should believe in the baby Jesus. But in the end, I can't lock you down to it. We, don't, we believe. I believe I can't believe. Third article of catechism. I believe I can't believe. You can't prove anybody. This is why apologetics where you try to prove people into believing. And if you were a rational person, you'd believe. You're like, here are some reasons you might want to think about believing. Because love is better than hate. Because Christianity, well played, enhances people rather than destroys them. Because Jesus has no enemies. Because mercy is a better way to live than being hateful. Right? To say everybody's in rather than everybody being out. Yeah, I think I just might keep going. Because, uh, you know, is, is, is better, all right? I'm going I'm to come back in two weeks, and I'm going to do exactly the same thing again. But I just want you to think about it. But in the meantime, I would like you to take a big breath. You're not at war with the world. The world is a wonderful place. Science is a wonderful thing. Math is poetry, right? And philosophy helps you think clearly. But you've got to know the game that you're playing. The, the presuppositions determine the outcome, right? All you need to know is there's a lot of really good reasons for believing in Jesus, and about a hundred of them are sitting in this room right now. Because if you weren't sitting in this room, you would be like every other stiff in America right now, scheming on how to destroy the people you don't like. And that's the reason, at the end of the day, America shouldn't be against the church. Because if the church doesn't embrace America, America kills itself. Okay? i got to go. we got a baptism, and we're already late for the water. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See you soon.